This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. another episode of pizza and parsecs i'm liv i'm dave and we're still quarantined and we're still going crazy but it's okay at least we have technology right right i'm going stir crazy it's okay i'll live i'll be stronger from it not only will you live you are live oh snap well today we're going to be talking about the yoda arc in season six i'm so excited because this is my second favorite arc by far in the whole clone wars series it's got a lot to say for sure and even more to unpack yes and i'm i'm so excited to unpack it with you um i thought it would be super fun to go episode by episode like we did last time and kind of unpack and give our little little synopsis on these episodes what do you think dave Sure. This is your rodeo. This is your... This is this is my voice, destiny, and sacrifice. And I'm the lost one. Oh. Get it? Because that's the first in this four-episode arc. I know now that the lost ones is actually a connected piece to this Yoda arc. But for me personally, I found it a little bit difficult or I categorized them in two separate pockets where the Lost Ones was kind of this opportunity to educate us and kind of bring up a little bit more back history of who Sifo-Dyas is and the connection. Because I remember in Attack of the Clones, we are told about sifo and he was the one who was actually in communication with the people making the clones. For me, they were two separate pockets because while there was a lot of information given in the Lost Ones episode, I see Voices, Destiny, and Sacrifice as its own arc where I didn't really put the two pieces together as like a direct puzzle piece and more so puzzle pieces that were in the same proximity of each other. No, yeah. So Clone Wars in general is really good at unpacking mysteries that were presented with in the movies. I mean, the very name in and of itself, the Clone Wars was introduced to us in the very first Star Wars movie that we ever had. And we get a little bit of a sense of that in Attack of the Clones and a little bit of Revenge of the Sith. But this series as a whole adds color to that mythos. And much like that, we're introduced in Attack of the Clones to this other Jedi named sifo Ds. Him and Dooku were actually like really tight together. Like they, they was besties. Sifo Diaz kind of went outside of the Jedi orders, kind of started doing some sketchy stuff, making this clone army, which begs the question, this clone army was actually part of this Sith plot. And the Jedi have basically been falling for it this entire time. So there's a big realization here and they start raising a lot of questions. Like, how did we not see that happen? I felt like the Lost Ones really started to raise questions about how much the Jedi Order had changed and the mindset of the Council as well, which I felt was a really good lead-in to the three-episode Yoda adventure that we were going to get with Voices, Destiny, and Sacrifice. 
Yeah. Because all that is sort of prompted by the council asking those tough questions about themselves. For me, that's where the significance of the lost one comes in because it's the impetus of what will be sort of an enlightenment for the council and the Jedi and Yoda. I got you. And that makes sense. And I think I categorize them in two separate things because I saw it's just high connection to Attack of the Clones. And then with the Yoda arc we're going into, there was so much clarity in another almost leveling up as a Jedi in this that I, that's why I, I classified them as two separate things. But hearing you talk about it makes total sense to me. Yeah, this this entire arc has such a deep and profound impact on the way that we look at the Force and the Jedi Order itself. Mm-hmm. It's tough to look at it now because right now we have Season 7. But five or six years ago, this arc right here was the last arc ever of the Clone Wars. Right. Like, this is how the entire series wrapped. And we've been fortunate enough to get a Season 7. But this was one great way to close out the season. Well, let's go and dive into voices, shall we? Madness can sometimes be the path to truth. Yoda is deeply unsettled when he hears a voice from beyond the grave, the voice of Qui-Gon Jinn. Jinn. I loved this episode from the get-go because, for one, it was this opportunity to dive deeper into something we haven't discovered in the prequel series or trilogies yet, and that being hearing a Jedi who is dead. If I could jump in here real quick, it's the first time that a a master Jedi, someone who is exceedingly strong in the Force, has an experience with hearing that voice of someone from beyond. Earlier in the Clone Wars series, Anakin has a similar experience to that on Mortis. Right. He hears voice of Qui-Gon Jinn. They kind of attribute it to the situation they were in, and it was a deception, not necessarily a vision or something profound the Force was trying to say to them. This was very different because not only are we dealing with a Jedi Master who is experiencing this, but it's Yoda. Right. Like, this is Yoda we're talking about here. Right. And, you know, we we know as lovers of Star Wars that this is possible. And knowing the original trilogy, it's something that's kind of normal. It's something that we see and no one's kind of shocked by. It's like, oh, okay, cool. You can do that. That's dope. But at this point, Yoda and even the, the whole Jedi Council is like, yeah, this is this could be easily uh, you know, something that Dooku's trying to plot against us. It could be something manipulative or bad, for lack of better words. It could just be bad. Let's dive deeper into what is really, what are, what is Yoda really hearing? You know, what is Yoda really sensing? What's causing Yoda so much distress? Because the whole council is, is concerned for him in particular. I think my favorite moment of this whole first episode, which there are so many opportunities in this 
episode for favorite moments. You know, we have later on where Anakin helps Yoda even like escape, take the opportunity to use this rebellious Jedi and and kind of go about what he's used to doing. And Yoda asks Anakin. But I think my favorite point in this whole particular episode is when the council is sitting around him and, and Yoda's like, I just need to meditate and I need to think about this and I need to just see what the force is telling me. And so all the Jedi come and put their hands on him and it you get this time lapse of the outside, which is, it looks like it's about a day and a half, maybe two, of them just sitting in the force. And as someone who loves to relate things back to my faith, it gave me chills because there was this pure, amazing moment of bonding together, being one unified group seeking out answers together and working together in silence, in meditation. For me, that was probably the most powerful part of this entire episode. Yeah, I, I couldn't have put it better. It is a powerful moment, like you said. This is one of those moments in Clone Wars that gives me goosebumps. So not only is this like a very powerful moment where they all meditate together in the council chambers, you really get this feeling of like they really are a family they are one cohesive unit. For me, like the icing on the cake in this is Kevin Kiner, who is the composer of The Clone Wars. He does all the music for this. The swelling music that goes along with this sequence amplifies the emotion of that scene. It was beautiful. Yeah, I agree. It definitely, the whole thing gave me the sense of like, we've left season five feeling this or at least I left season five feeling this like, how could the Jedi Order really act this way? And I was I was really upset with a lot of the Jedi Council on their decisions with Ahsoka um, and that, that particular arc. But I really did enjoy seeing after the realization that the there's a lot of corruption going on in the higher ups and a lot of corruption going on in the council itself and them kind of realizing like, oh, this could have been something that's been going on for a long period of time. We see this banding together and working together and kind of almost making up for their mistakes with Ahsoka by not just going off of, okay, Master Yoda, the bet, like one of the biggest Jedis and one of the most powerful Jedis that we have in this series, you know, they could have just written him off. They could have been like, you're going insane. You're old. Like, we need to be, in, you know, send you out. But it's almost like an unspoken, we need to fix our wrongs. And instead of jumping to conclusions, let's work together. And I really enjoyed that. They did have those questions about Yoda, like, Maybe he is too old. Maybe he does have these limits. At the same time, they were just hit with something that was really shocking. So in some way, they were like, yeah, but this unbelievable thing just happened. So let's keep everything on the table. I, I do remember Obi-Wan making that comment and it was really cool because watching it, going back and watching it a second time, knowing where Yoda's journey is going to take him, I kind of felt different feeling than the first time I watched it when Obi-Wan made a comment about, oh, maybe Yoda does have limits. Maybe, you know, maybe he is old because it kind of, for lack of better terms, I know Yoda's not a human, but it kind of humanized this Jedi master that everyone idolizes. He is vulnerable. He is um, not invincible. And he is not the most powerful thing in the universe because he discovers he has to go to Dagobah and he discovers this whole new realm of the force and kind of finds this 
even more powerful being than he is. Yes. And the avenue that he took to get there, I just briefly want to touch on. You talked earlier about how he teamed up with Anakin to break out of the temple. I felt like that really validated Anakin in a big way because Anakin is someone that has gone against the council's wishes countless times. This time, it felt like Yoda was almost saying, like, your ways of going up against the council has value. We were just proven that we can be very wrong. We've made some questionable choices. There are things that we have not seen. And I feel like now is one of those times where we need to go against the council's wishes. I thought it was really cool for him to throw some validation towards Anakin. Yeah, I agree. I think that was really, it was really cool. It also kind of gave us this more, I don't know, again, I, I use the term humanized Yoda. He's not this perfect being who has to follow the rules every single time. He he does actually break some rules to better his understanding to then follow the rules. It's like a backwards way of getting smarter and wiser and becoming even stronger in his beliefs and in the force. It's really cool. And it made me feel a little bit more like I could relate to Yoda in certain ways because Yoda is this all-powerful type being who has like all of these really cool features. He's like that super level and that super character that you want to play because... He, he has the ability to take care of everything and everything becomes easier. So it gave me this sense of like, okay, one, he does have a sense of humor, but two, he knows how to utilize that sense of humor and use it as a teachable moment, which is really cool. Well said. Thank you. I can't think of anything to add to that. Um, so then that kind of leads us into destiny. Yoda goes to Dagobah. This is like the first time we see Dagobah pre-trilogy. And he's following Qui-Gon Jinn's voice. Like he's essentially found his voice and his sees these like glowing little fairies. They fly around saying, listen, all the time. Yes, I stole your joke. Ha ha ha. <laughs> Now I'm sad. I'm sorry. Um, and he discovers Dagobah. He does. And, and I, not only that, he goes there with R2. Yeah. I think it's funny that R2 is there and then R2 goes back with Luke several years later. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that's super cool. And Luke has this line like, this place seems familiar. And then like, I, now I can like picture R2 going, uh, yeah, I guess maybe never been here before in my life. <laughs> it, it was a really cool moment because like, you know, they don't really say, oh, he's going to Dagobah. He kind of lands a ship and you're like, ah, I know where this is. Yoda ends up living here. So it kind of made a full circle moment of this is why Yoda picks this place. Like this is a really good place. He has connections here. He knows what he wants from this place. Um, and he sees the trials and he goes back in his mind, I'm assuming, and is like, yeah, this is a good place for when, you know, Luke decides to show his face and I can send him into the forest and go into his trials. And we, we get to experience Yoda foreseeing what is about to happen. We see these like flashes in this dark tornado of foreshadowing that is Jedi's being killed. We see a blue lightsaber going through one of the Jedi council members. We see Jedi running and fighting. And then we see Lord Sidious in all of his glory, massive with his red lightsaber. 
as people who have seen Revenge of the Sith, and we know what happens in Revenge of the Sith, we can only assume that blue lightsaber is that of Anakin's. Yeah, there's a lot of heavy foreshadowing, or not even foreshadowing, it's just almost seeing into the future. Mm -hmm. Mace Windu does get force lightninged. Yeah. (laughs) And all those terrible things end up happening to the Jedi, and Yoda has to face that all by his onesie there on Dagobah. Yeah. And once it's all said and done, we get that that moment of, oh my goodness, Yoda actually got to see what's going to happen. We then leave this massive tree and go back to our ship as advised by Qui-Gon Jinn. And he's like, all right, the force is going to take you to your next place. Deuces. Time to go. Time to fly off and find where the midichlorians originate. Find where the force is harnessed. Be gone. Off you go. Toodaloo. Goodbye. (laughs) So, and then we get to this, what looks like imploding star almost. What, what it reminds me of is, is the idea of one of those, these stars kind of, its energy is dying out. So it's sending out a lot of energy, but also bringing in a lot of energy just to implode. It looks exactly how I would imagine a wellspring of the force would look. That's what it reminds me of. If we're looking for something forcey, this looks like the planet that would be forcey. Yeah, definitely a forcey planet. Um, and we meet these five emotions. Force priestesses. Force priestesses that kind of take Yoda into new trials, you know, new things to prove himself worthy. Now we're understanding that Qui-Gon, in fact, went through these partially, but never completed it. So he could reappear in the Force after he was dead. So we've learned all of this information. We're now in this place of Yoda is on a quest to go and figure this out for himself. And he is put up against so many trials. And I thought it was really cool. We're not a faith podcast, but there was so much about this that I kept coming back to and thinking, wow, this just reminds me of my upbringing and my the my growing up in the church and how like things were described to me with my faith. And I thought it was just, it was this really cool connection of Yoda kind of going through the thick of it to then be able to share it with other people and spread it out. So the new generation of Jedis for at this point, if the the prophecy that he just witnessed comes true, he can then help advise whoever comes up next. So yeah, his, his first one is pretty much a battle with his Sith side. Yeah, it was like a Gollum version of Yoda. Yeah. I really like the message behind this where Yoda actually recognizes that, yes, this darkness is a part of him, Mm -hmm. but he rejects it, refuses to give it the power. Right. And that's how he kind of defeats it. For me, I feel like this says a lot about balance of the force. And we could have an entire discussion on what it means to be balanced in the force. But I feel like this kind of tells me, okay, what balance is, is recognizing that there is darkness. There is a dark side. It's not an absence of the dark side. That's not what balance is. It's not an absence of it. It's that you're refusing to give that corruption power and you reject it. Right. It's it's a lot like dying to oneself for the greater good. Explain. 
in the sense of relatability to Yoda, I feel like everybody has a good side and a dark side, a light side and a dark side. And it's how we act and how we go forth in our lives and actively choosing the light side and acknowledging the fact that we all have the option to choose the wrong thing or to choose the dark side, but we actively choose to follow the rules, follow the light, follow the positive movements, do the right thing. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't even have to go back to, you know, what you believe in. It's just being a good person. Good people do good things, but good people also acknowledge the fact that there is a part of us that finds the appeal of a dark side. Yes. Anger gives you power. Exactly. And I feel like in this particular scene, it was so cool to see Yoda, who is seen as this powerful good guy, acknowledge the fact that this dark side was there, was a part of him, but kind of dying to himself saying, but I choose not to acknowledge, like, I choose to acknowledge you, but I choose not to act on you. It was, it was really cool, in my opinion, to kind of see this, like, really, really well thought out trial of good and evil in oneself it was cool to see yoda in a vulnerable position Mm -hmm. briefly throughout this entire arc we see several situations where yoda is in vulnerable situations yeah overall in these episodes i think the message that kind of rang true it's not absolute like there is an absolute like light there is an absolute dark like there are gray areas Mm mm-hmm And even Obi-Wan, before he strikes down Anakin Skywalker, says only Sith deal in absolutes. But this entire time, Yoda and the council believed that they were following the light side of the force. But really, by taking on the clone army, by fighting with the clone army, that was basically given to them as like almost as a gift from the Sith. Right. Hey, I need y'all involved in this war so that I can continue to rise to power and people can see how much you guys suck. Right. And then, you know, eventually turn them against you because you're now vulnerable to the fact that they are on your side and you would never guess that they'd want to kill you. There's just so much connectivity to that absolutes versus non-absolutes and i I do i i agree i think it was it was a really cool moment the the next trial though while it it kind of foreshadows a little bit more but it also hit this like tender side of yoda that we don't we don't see a lot of we see this tender fatherly figure every so often with yoda but he sees his friends dead in the jedi temple we're led to believe that Something or someone has struck them down. Us knowing that it's probably Anakin, he can't do anything about it. You know, he's just having to sit there and witness the death of the people he's trained and been a part of their lives for so long. This arc is filled with instances where Yoda is owning up to his mistakes and the mistakes of the council. And that especially shows up for me in this trial where he sees ahsoka dying on the ground and it's a heartbreaking moment it was really interesting to see yoda in that kind of position like he was emotional he was distraught like you could see regret in his eyes you could see you could hear the regret in his voice for how they treated ahsoka 
again, it's just one of these really cool moments where you get to see Yoda vulnerable and he is owning up to the mistakes that he's made and the council has made. And I really liked that. I know you have issues with the end of season five for that very reason, because the council wasn't acting like we think the council should. Yeah, it definitely was this amazing moment. Without apologizing to Ahsoka directly, Yoda was able to come to peace knowing he had done wrong and owning it. Taking that ownership. Yeah. And then his his final trial in this particular episode, we have Yoda goes outside and sees Dooku, a part of the Jedi Council. We see Obi-Wan Kenobi talking with Qui-Gon Jinn, who isn't dead. And they're all just kind of gathering around this tree. Dooku turns around with bloodshot eyes and they all just kind of levitate into the sky. And Yoda chooses to stand there and get struck. I love this particular scene because so prior to when they get all exorcists (laughs) on Yoda, prior to that, it was uh, the antithesis of what Yoda experienced in his temple vision. This outside portion was like a utopia Jedi temple. Mm -hmm. Everybody is getting along. Everybody's happy. There's even a moment like people walking by in this great Yoda. And he's like, yeah, dog. (laughs) And then he comes to that realization like, you know, I could have this, but none of this is real. These are not the cards that we are dealt. I am not going to live under the delusion that this is real. This is not the world we're living in. And then the delusion turns on him. And then that's when Dooku turns around, eyes red. I thought that entire sequence was just really cool and really well done. It's not exactly something entirely unique, but I thought it was well done. And it was cool to see Yoda kind of buy into it for even for a brief moment. You know, you keep talking about humanizing Yoda. You can tell that this is something that he wants. He wants that utopia. He wants that peace. But it's a lie. And he does not want to continue to live in that lie, as the Jedi Order has basically been doing ever since they took the clones. Right. They've just been playing right into the Sith Master's hands. Exactly. Under the delusion that they were doing the right thing. Yeah. And I think what I really loved a lot about in in agreement with what you were saying is this. He got a taste of paradise. He got a taste of this perfect world in Yoda fashion, recognized the falsehood of it and just kind of stood there and was like, yeah, I can't. I have to live in reality because, you know, if we look into it deeper and when I watched it again, when I watched it the second time, I was like, Had Yoda picked that, history still has corruption. Pre-trilogy, we see so many times Sith coming up and corruption coming in and the Jedi having to take care of it. You know, there's so much attachment to different selfish avenues that will arise. Who's to say that had Yoda been like, yeah, I could live in this world, there would have been even more corruption. You know, there's that what if aspect. It was really cool to see Yoda deliberate for half a second between reality and delusion and picking reality was really cool. Good on you, Yoda. Good on you. Good job, Yoda. So 
This third and final trial of the Destiny episode is left us with Yoda kind of passed out on the edge of, of this force world, meeting the spirits yet, you know, yet again. And he, he actually asks to see their face. And they take off their mask and fall to the ground. For me, it represented this, like, we are in everything. We just presented ourselves in some fashion for you to put trust in us. Because I can bet if Yoda, like, walked up and they just stayed little floaty orbs the whole time, I would be questionable. But we get these, like, physical beings, these alien-looking type things, and they take their mask off and it's like, yeah, we're, we're pretty much the Force. Boom. I think there was only one force priestess. Oh, I agree. That just presented herself as five. Yeah, I agree. I definitely think there was only one who encompassed all of these different emotions, all these different ways to handle situations. I was watching it and I was like, wow, this is really cool. Like each one is a, is handling Yoda and speaking to Yoda in a different way, handling this situation differently. But, you know, we all have those five characteristics in us. We can all be angry. We can all be in despair. We can all be super happy. We can all be content and we can all be sad. You know, there's all of these emotions within us and obviously there's more. But I thought it was really cool that it presented itself in five different ways and then vanished. The thing that I probably liked the most, the fact that one of them was named Serenity. Mm -hmm. I really liked that because the message that I received was you can't have serenity without having anger, confusion, sadness, joy. You can't have serenity without experiencing those things. Exactly. And I feel like within these three trials in the Destiny episode, I feel like we got a glimpse, even if it was for a moment, of each one of those emotions from Yoda to then accomplish that moment of serenity when he chose reality versus delusional world of perfection. He got struck down by Dooku in a state of serenity, which I thought was super cool. You know, I didn't pick that up. As soon as you said that, I'm like, yes, that is exactly what happened. Good pull. Good pull. Thank you. There's anger, which I would assume is his dark side. We have confusion, which I would connect to the deaths, the sadness of realizing that he probably will never get to say these words to the actual Ahsoka. The joy that he saw within the outside Jedi temple and the joy he felt from this perfect world and this ideal sense of Jedi and then serenity after experiencing all four of the other ones first. That was my take. That was my profound moment for this episode. I saw more confusion out of Yoda in the moments where he was like, wait a sec, this is wrong. Yeah, you, you're supposed to be dead. You're dead. Qui-Gon, you died. And you a Sith. Right. What? What? Yeah. Oh, this isn't real though. Definitely. Also, just want to throw in sinus infection was in this episode. Didn't really, didn't really like that. Oh, <laughs> your, your, your BFF from our youngins episode. Yeah, sinus infection chickadee is in this episode. And that's fine, you know, to each their own. But I was like, ah, sinus infection. So is the jock from Breakfast Club though. Yeah, and baby Chewy. Maybe that's why this is my second favorite arc is because we had baby Chewie back. 
Yeah, I think I th- that's that has to be it. Has to be. And then Yoda is met with one last trial, one last task, and that is to head his green little tush to Moraband, the the Sith homeworld. It's about to get real crazy real fast. Can I throw in a fun fact? Absolutely. Fun fact. Moraband is actually the canon version of Korriban. Hmm. It's the exact same thing. Like you even see in the valley the same type of building structures between Morban and Korriban. It sits in like the exact same position of the universe. The only thing that's different is the name. When asked about it, George Lucas said he just wanted to change the name to Morban instead of keeping Korriban. So same thing. Korriban is the Sith homeworld in Legends. Morban is the Sith homeworld in canon. Did not know that. That's really cool. Nice, nice fun fact, babe. Got you, fam. So yeah, he he travels to Morban and is like, I gotta do this one on my own, R2. And R2 is probably like, homeboy, at least give let me give you your lightsaber back. Because we never really see if Yoda gets his lightsaber back. That's one thing I know I picked up is like, R2 never like physically hands it back to him. No. We're in this sitting here thinking, uh, Yoda... You about to go all by yourself again with no lightsaber is fine. Whatever. But yeah, and I would assume R2 is like, phew, okay. At least I just have to fly this old man around. Like, I don't have to actually get into any trouble because I'm not about this. Yoda is met with the big bad from the first Lord of the Rings. The big monster that kind of goes in and kills Gandalf. Huh? You know the big, like, lava-y looking monster that kills Gandalf? Oh, no, the the horned monster thing. Yeah, with the whip. This is what this guy reminded me of. I was like, you low-key, like, Lord of the Rings guy. Um, no. But good try. That, my dear, was Darth Bane. And, fun fact, voiced by none other than Mark Hamill. Oh, that's cool. I, I knew it was Darth Bane. I Sometimes these things kind of bug you, so I wanted to do something funny like this. Because you do the same with Harry Potter. So, like, why not kind of find something funny to compare it to? And I succeeded. <laughs> you did. I was confused for a second. I was like, what thing that Gandalf fault? The the horned whippy guy who, like, whipped him. It was like, you coming with me? And he's like, blah, you fools. And he, like, and then he turns into Gandalf the White. This is Yoda's Yoda the White moment. Balrog. That's it. No way on this planet I would ever remember that. It was more fun to describe it. Anyway, so he kind of has a little standoff with Darth Bane. Which, Darth Bane, holy crap. So Darth Bane is a significant character in Legends. Basically, he was responsible for the rebirth of the Sith as we know them today. They were one way before, they're different after. This is why they're different after. In Legends, bringing him in to canon was just so cool to see because this is such a really interesting, just really cool character. And they also called out that he came up with the rule of two, which is also a significant piece of the Sith as we know them today. So that was me just geeking out about Darth Bane for a second, actually canonizing him. 
Oh, yeah, no, because you explained all that to me when we watched this episode and kind of gave me the background check on Darth Bane and its significance in this particular episode, why this place is so significant, why Yoda had to be here. Like, it just, it gave me a little bit more history to kind of be like, okay, here we go, let's move forward. Like, I I understood more because of that deep dive. One more thing about Darth Bane. We see this apparition of Darth Bane, but we know that he's not a force ghost. Sith cannot become force ghosts. We we know this. A lot of people have a lot of theories out there, and I just want to spit out mine real quick. Some people think it's just like a vision, a deception. It's like all part of the trial. But my guess is it was actually an essence transfer. So while Sith can't become force ghosts, their spirits can be imbued upon objects or like their tombs. Basically, they can haunt a particular area, like a tomb. But that's about the scope of where their influence ends. Like he's effectively a prisoner in his own tomb. The reason I think this is because in Legends, he plays around with Essence Transfer a little bit. But that's all I'll say there. That's cool. So you would say like Sith can kind of become like possessive demons, whereas Jedi can become... Blue Angels, got it. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a funny way to put it, yeah. Because there's Sith dark magics yeah. out there. Basically, the, that's how they can do that essence transfer is by using magics and not necessarily the Force. But they can never become one with the Force. Which is one of the theories people had about Snoke. Before we knew that Sidious was actually alive. Before the last episode, Rise of Skywalker came out, there were so many theories on who is Snoke? What is Snoke? And one of the theories was that Lord Sidious had died and essentially practiced that projection into other Siths and was able to project himself into Snoke. That was a theory. Another theory was he was Mace Windu, and I stand by that to this day. I know it's false, but it was my heart's desire. (laughs) Um, so essentially Yoda kind of just stands there and just kind of wills him away. He's like, yeah, I'm not really scared of you. You don't really threaten me. Bane gets up in his face and he's like, eh. He kind of Elsa brushes him off, essentially. He's like, meh. (laughs) I've been through enough today. You are not going to add to my plate. And so then he enters in this temple. We see... Force priestesses return yet again. They have followed him here. There's a little bit of chatter, a little bit of, little bit of, hey, what's up? A little bit of like reconnecting. It's been a minute. Yoda enters this new room and sees Sifo-Dyas tied up in front of him. For me personally, and something that I kind of am kind of full circling into is we see this projection for the first time through Sidious because he is actually putting together this like magic lightning spell with Dooku and then Sidious appears in Sifo-Dyas's place and the epicness ensues. For real though. For real though. Yoda's trapped, Loki passes out, wakes up in a clone ship with clones and Anakin super confused, was like, what is going on? Sifo-Dyas was alive, now he's not alive again, it became Sidious, and now Yoda's in a ship. 
what's going on? They fly in, they find Sidious and Dooku. Anakin starts having it out with Dooku. Gets Dooku in the leg. Yoda is like dropping his staff, full on sprint to Sidious. Is like, I'm gonna get you now. Here we go. Turns around. Anakin has got Dooku's saber and his saber at his neck. For me, that was like, okay, now I know this isn't real. Anakin does this in Revenge of the Sith. So this is another kind of seeing into the future. It's move for move replication of what we see in Revenge of the Sith. The second time around that I watched it, I was like, wait, 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 wait. This looks familiar. The first time I was just watching it to digest what was going on. The second time I was like, hold up. Homeboy does this for real in the near future. And I thought that was really, really cool. And then the the battle between Sidious and Yoda, I thought that was super cool. And for me, this being the final trial and the the whole episode being called Sacrifice, Yoda quite literally sacrifices himself to save Anakin. Gets zapped beyond any necessary zapping and is force lifting Anakin and zapping at getting zapped at the same time and then falls and Sidious isn't even there. And once again, we go through all of the priestesses. Yep. We end with Serenity. We do, because he he falls and he's like, all right, I'm going to die now. It's fine. But he doesn't. He's alive. It's fine. He gets up, grabs his cane, he walks away again. This just was such a good conclusion episode for me, I think, because it had so many common themes throughout, especially in Sacrifice and Destiny, like those constant five themes that show up over and over and over again. It was really refreshing to kind of walk through that with Yoda continuously because he has a choice in every single moment. He can choose to turn around and be like, not too much for me. Y'all are on your own. But he chooses every single time to walk away from that dark side. The, The temptation of the easy way out that we were faced in the very first trial. Like he could have, he could have just been like, yeah, this is too much for me. I'm going home. Like, bye. But he didn't. And at the end of the day, he now is allowed to become Blue Yoda. Not Green Yoda, but Blue Yoda. I have a couple final thoughts. I want to read off a quote from the last conversation that we see between him and Mace Windu. Mace Windu is basically saying, like, did you learn anything from this experience? Do you have any insight into how we can win the war? And Yoda says, no longer certain that one ever does win a war. In fighting the battle, the bloodshed already lost we have. I don't know. I just really liked that because once again, these episodes are about accountability. And through Yoda, we get the sense that the Jedi are taking ownership for the Order's failings. And because Yoda is certainly taking ownership for his failings. I like that as tying a bow on this adventure. So what do we call this segment that we're about to to have Gungan gripes. Oh, I like that. Somebody please explain to me why everyone has to park their ship 6,000 miles away from their destination. We see that when we go to Tatooine in Phantom Menace. We see Yoda do that multiple times in this, this series here. Why? I don't understand. You're going to park your very capable ship that flies 
anywhere you want. Far away where you're like, I have to now walk to my destination. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. It's not necessary. You can just park it next to the, the town, you know, couple paces away. You don't have to do a whole day's trek to get there. We, if we want to get there by, by sundown, we have to park this far away. So we're always there by sundown. Makes no sense to me. That's number one. Number two, why does Yoda need a cane if he's gonna just hop around and be awesome and then like, but when he's walking normal and just taking his sweet slow time, he's gotta have a cane? That's like a runner needing a cane to walk, but can run very well. Don't understand it, still confused by it. We see it plenty of times, find it super humorous, but just don't understand. That was Gungan Gripes with Liv. <laughs> The running thing works for me because I do that. Like I will run fine, but then I will limp like the rest of the day and then run fine and then limp the rest of the day. See, it's a body thing. I just don't understand it. Like sometimes there are things a body does and it just it doesn't make sense to me. Your gripes were funny. Thank you. I liked them. Thank you. Do you want to do the questions now? Sure. So our last Clone Wars episode, we posed a question, or I, Dave and I posed a question um, about Force Ghosts, and we were talking about, in alluding to our deep dive into this episode, on how, essentially, if you were to sum this whole arc up in one sentence, it's Yoda's discovery of becoming Blue Yoda. For you. <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's my sentence. This is how he becomes Blue Yoda. If these are the kinds of quests and, and trials that Jedis have to go through and they have to find that sense of serenity by putting themselves down and kind of leaving themselves behind and doing things for greater goods and being above this like bad guy that they can be really sacrificing and going through the three episodes, you know, the, the titles of the three episodes, really going in and becoming those things and sacrificing themselves. We know that Obi-Wan goes through it. We know that Yoda goes through it. We know Qui-Gon did not get to finish it. My question that I asked Dave after watching this the first time was, well, how does Anakin become it? Because Homeboy becomes blue, blue Anakin. In the original series, he's still Anakin Skywalker, obviously, but it's the Darth Vader version. Old man Skywalker. Yeah, the old man. In the remastered versions, it's the Anakin pre-Vader version. So my question to him was, well, how, how does he go about this? Because he didn't face these trials. He didn't have to go through all this stuff. He was just handed it. But then later, Dave and I kind of came up with a theory. And we ended up having the same theory when we addressed it a second time or at least mostly the same theory. But we asked you on Twitter, how did Anakin become Blue Anakin? First one that we got is from Ryan at Raza2594, our good friend Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Hey Ryan. Who said, I think because he was the chosen one, he had such a strong connection to the Force that he didn't need any training. He had automatic entry into becoming a Force ghost. Okay, I didn't think about that. That's that's a really good theory. I like that one. He already had a high midi-chlorian count, so I guess that, that could make a lot of sense. He was like a force celebrity. 
open the gates for him. Like, yeah. oh, Mr. Anakin, sir. He's a prodigy. Yeah. <laughs> but it's an interesting theory. I'm thinking on that now, and it's that's really cool. It's a cool theory to have, because if the Force is an ever-changing, ever-flowing, ever-constant being, that could make total sense. I could I could see where that could be could could play into this. Now I'm wondering the next one that we have also kind of touches on this as well. But I'm wondering if the difficulty of the trials is the same for each person. Meaning if, for instance, I have a lower midichlorian count than Yoda does, it's gonna be harder for me to become a forest ghost. Yeah, that's a good question. And I'm also wondering, like, is it unique to each person based off of their pull to the dark side or their their struggle with one of the five characteristics of the priestess? Also a good point. This is why I'm, I was so excited to do this on Twitter, because I knew that our theory was one, but I wanted to hear what other people had to say. So we got another one on here from the Force Losers podcast at Force underscore losers. Hi, Force Losers. What up? So they said, I think that his becoming a force ghost has less to do with his knowledge of how to transcend the physical plane and more to do with his connection to the force itself. I think that because he was conceived of the force, his ascension to a force ghost was him taking his place. Hmm. Okay. I like that one too. That's that's a really cool theory too. I'm marinating on it. It's like Anakin's a puzzle piece. Yeah. I think that's really cool. At the end of the day, he never really comes back as a force ghost. Like we hear we hear Vader's voice when Rey touches the lightsaber. And we hear Anakin's voice in the Be With Me segment. Right. I thought about it before we asked it on Twitter. It's such a significant but almost insignificant detail that I'm so fixated on right now because I loved this arc so much. But that's a really cool theory, and that makes sense to the significance part of this minor detail. It is kind of funny how fixated we are on something that is basically just all lore. Yes, I am stuck in this fixation right now. We both are. Yeah. And that's all we got. That's still super cool. And we have our own theories that we can interject real quick if you'd like to. Absolutely, go right ahead. My theory is, at the end of the day, at the end of this arc, a massive sacrifice had to have been made by Yoda to achieve this new level of Jedi forceness. Achievement has been unlocked through sacrifice. So my theory is that in the last moments when we actually see Darth Vader eyeballing Sidious and moving his head to Luke, we see this faceless struggle, which hands off to the, the just directors, producers, and actors that put that scene together because you can visually see the softening of Darth Vader in that scene. At least I can see the softening of Darth Vader in that scene. And he picks up Sidious and tosses him over, getting electrocuted in the process, sacrificing himself, laying himself down for the good of the future Jedi becomes Blue Anakin. I have a similar theory to you. So the reason that Sith can't become Force Ghost is because in order to become a Force Ghost, it has to be a completely selfless act. Because the Sith hold such an importance to their selves, they're very selfish beings. 
which is going to hold them back because the way that you transcend this plane, live forever, is by letting go of that. And they are incapable of doing so. So my thought is, yes, this selfless act opens up that door to allow him to explore that. There's also that he fulfilled the prophecy, bringing balance, taking down Lord Sidious. I mean, we know that Anakin has such a high midichlorian count. It was stated that he had an even a higher midichlorian count than Yoda. Mm-hmm. So he had that natural connection to the Force. I think that in combination with his selfless act allowed him to become Force Ghost Anakin. Now, where you and I differ a lot is our thoughts on using old man Anakin versus young Anakin at the end of Return of the Jedi. Yes, I like old man Anakin. I like the OG, original, not touched, not re-enhanced. See, to me, that's the Anakin that is a Sith. That is the Anakin that has done all that evil. The Anakin that we see in the remastered is the Anakin that was selfless, the one that wanted to help people, and the one that did help a lot of people. It was the best version of Anakin. Yeah, and I see what you're saying, and I understand what you're saying. I think where I sit is, I go back to, like, there's an opportunity for redemption in every circumstance. Old man Anakin found that opportunity of redemption in the circumstance that was sitting in front of him, so he took it, thus bringing his fourth spirit back to the light side. So when he died, he actually died a Jedi, in my opinion. This is just what I see. Again, that softening of his heart, that shift that we see with with Vader looking at Sidious and Luke, we see that the return of the Anakin we know and love from the trilogy or from the pre-trilogy. Him showing up as old man Anakin, one is just nostalgia because that's what I remember as a kid. That's what, you know, that's what we were given because we didn't have the pre-trilogy yet. But two, it just kind of, for me, has this message of there is there is redemption in every situation. No one's too far gone. And that's kind of where I sat. It was just like, he was never gone. Anakin was always there. That point could also be used to argue why young Anakin should be there, though. Absolutely. Because young Anakin is always there. But I wanted to say, I am also on the nostalgia train a little bit, but this is one of the few things that I think was an improvement. I feel like this change made sense. Gotcha. Okay. We're gonna we're probably going to just disagree on it. That's fine. Because, you know, it's, it's just, I, I do I do think it is personal preference at the end of the day, you know, and our listeners probably could defend either or or both sides, you know, and maybe even have their own personal preference of what they think should have been the end of Vader, Anakin. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's Star Wars. It's dope. He became a blue force ghost somehow, some way. Nobody ever knows how, some way. We're fans. We're Star Wars fans. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, Liv. Yes. Do you want me to wrap this up? Sure. Fine. I can mute your microphone from my end. Okay, I'm done now. Okay, now I'm done. So that is it for this force-filled episode of Pizza and Parsecs. I'm Dave. I'm Blue Liv. 
And I have yet to acquire the talents and the training to become Blue Dave, but I am working on it. You can check out our show on bit.ly backslash pizza and parsecs pod or on your podcasting platform of choice. If you like what you hear, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rate and review. Still relatively new podcasts and ratings and reviews are a great way to get the word out. We'd really appreciate it. If you want to give us a holler, head on over to our socials on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're at Pizza and Parsecs. Hit us up. We'll always holler back. I guarantee it. Ha! And as always, thank you guys so much for your support. We love being part of this podcasting community and we really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks. And may the force be with you. Always. Welcome back to Pizza and Parsecs. <laughs> Have you been planning that? Yeah, I've been planning that this whole time. War. That's your best Tom Kane, okay? Uh, so it's the only word I can really accurately sound like him. War. Clones. Droids. Skywalker. Yoda. Mace Windu. Job Yoda. That's why you're. That's why you have children. I know he did not give birth to you, Baby Yoda. I just wanted to bring up Baby Yoda somehow, some way, and this was my way. We know nothing of Yoda's physiology. He could be all like a seahorse and stuff. He could. maybe he carries the babies. We don't know. Maybe he had Baby Yoda. Who knows? Maybe Dagobah is where he met his wife. Maybe, and they had Baby Yoda. I love Baby Yoda. We know, Liv. We know. <laughs> Achievement has been unlocked through sacrifice. So, my theory loot is- Loot boxes. Loot boxes. <laughs> yes. Unlocked a new skin. <laughs> a new blue skin. <laughs> a new skin. I've officially got the blue skin. That's dope. I think that about wraps it up, though, for pizza and parsecs. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. See you later. Bye. Ciao. Catch you on the flip side. Can you leave, please? Get out. <laughs> yeah. Oh. What's the one I'm walking down for for down the aisle to? What's what's that one? Duel of the Fates. But the only thing is, like, I'm gonna see you, give you the stink eye, and then we're gonna battle. Oh, yes. I thought we were doing the, the royal one. Oh.